impacted and affected us and continues to impact and affect us to this day. The story of Adam and Eve is the story of each of us. It's, it's a deeply human story because it resonates with the echoes of our history. It showcases our present predicaments and ultimately it points towards the eventual redemption of all things. Let's take a minute and, and, and introduce the characters of this story. First, first there's God, who, last week we just discovered, exists in perfect relationship and harmony. We have this concept in Christianity that we call the Trinity, and I'm not going to explain it because I can't. But suffice it to say that he exists in perfect relationship and in perfect harmony and he operates from a place of love and his ultimate desire is to share that love with all of creation. Then there's Adam. Adam whose name literally means dirt. He is Mr. Dirt or dirt man, a fact that should kind of prepare us for what is to come and what he experiences and ultimately what we all experience in life. Next, there is Eve. Eve's name literally translates to breath or life. This is Mrs. Breath. Now, if you understand, I talked last week about this breathing concept and this idea of breath. And the idea of breath is that in Hebrew, the word for breath and the word for spirit are the same word. So she is Mrs. Breath or Mrs. Spirit, if you will, and we will discover that this spirit is the source of our life. Eve's place in this story is absolutely vital and continues to be. The names of Adam and Eve, Dirt Man, Mr. Dirt, and Mrs. Spirit seem almost intentionally used to represent all of humanity. See, now one of the problems with this story is that we spend an endless amount of energy arguing about whether it's literally true or not. Standing up here, I'm going to tell you that I don't care whether it's literally true or not, because that's not the point. And if we're going to argue about the literal truth of this story, we are missing the point of this story completely. Adam and Eve are every human being, everyone that has ever lived and ever will live. They are representatives of us. They are breath and dirt. The two things ultimately that God used to bring us to life. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Breath and dirt. 
the two things ultimately that make us who we are. The two things that showcase in humanity some of the most important things about us. One, that we bear the Spirit of God. Because I just said, the word for breath is the same word as the word for spirit. When God breathed into us, he gave his spirit to us. So we have this and we know it, this divine image. We'll talk about that in a second. But at the same time that we have this divine image, we are also dirt. And dirt is pretty common. It's everywhere. Right? It's fragile. And so we understand that at the same time that we bear this divine image, we also bear this fragility about us. Finally, one last character, the serpent. That wily and crafty creature. The one who we say tempts, but in the end simply actually exploits the weaknesses that we are already displaying. Now these four characters form the basis of the story that we're going to look at. It's a few things about Adam and Eve to begin with. First, Adam and Eve are made in the image of God. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. There is something inherently divine about being human. We have been stamped with an image of the divine. Psalm 8 says, Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. There is a power and a mystery in humanity that has been placed there by God himself. We often catch glimpses of it. When we see an act of compassion, generosity, or love, when we see these things happening in our world, our spirit seems to jump within us. It is in those moments that we see humanity as God intended us to be. Unfortunately, as we look around us, we can easily discover that things have gone sideways. We are not very good at being the image of God in the world. Part of that is because we don't understand who God is. Second, is that they are made from the dust. Then the Lord God formed them from the dust of the ground. While we bear the divine image, we also are made from dirt. There is a commonness, a fragility, a fleetingness to humanity that seems to fly in the face of our place as divine image bearers. There is an intense and abiding vulnerability to us. 
Ecclesiastes captures that well when the writer states, all go to one place, all are from dust, and to dust all return. This vulnerability is on full display in this story. And I hope that we begin to see ourselves within it. Because while we are all divine image bearers, we are also all dirt men. We are all made from the most base and most common components that can be found. And we are all fragile and all vulnerable. In their response of fear to a God who has never shown them anything but love, that is what leads to the break or the fall. Because how can you have a relationship with someone that you are afraid of? I'm going to say this, and I realize that I'm about to say something controversial. What else is new? The disobedience of the apple could have been forgiven by a God of love if the response of humanity hadn't been fear. If the response of humanity had been to press deeper into the love they knew to be true, that that whole incident could have been forgiven. It is the fear of God that keeps us from connecting with the source of our redemption. Hold on. Keith. There are scriptures that talk about the fear of God. Yeah, we'll get there. As we work through this, we'll begin to discover this push and pull between God and humanity and how God continues to misunderstand or mankind continues to misunderstand who God is. I'm going to say it again though. It is the fear of God that keeps us from connecting with the source of our redemption. Because I am not going to connect with someone or something that I'm afraid of. Fear does what to us? Paralyzes. Two options, right? Do we know the two options for for us? Fight or flight, right? We're either going to run or we're going to fight when we're afraid. What does humanity do in this case? They run. They hide. Why? That's the question. Why? There are three things that I think happen here. First, 
they forget who God is. Again, last week we stated that God is love, and this reality is foundational to creation. His interaction with us. Adam and Eve run in fear from God because they lose sight of who God actually is. If they had a strong connection with God's love, then there really should be no need for them to run in fear from Him. A friend once asked me this question about this story. He asked, if I thought the outcome of this event would have been different if Adam had simply taken responsibility for what he had done and trusted in God's love for him. As I thought about that, I began to acknowledge that I, I believe that God is love. That's my foundational core belief. And his relationship is guided by and ruled by this love. And if I believe that, then yes, I do believe that the outcome would have been different. This is why I believe that this is where the fall actually occurred. It wasn't so much about eating the apple. It was about forgetting who God is. And if we're honest, we all know about God's love. But very few of us lose ourselves in the reality of that love. so that we consistently act in a way that reflects that love. Too often we consistently forget that love is God's stance toward us and His response to us. The second thing is that they forget who they are. They listen to a voice other than God's. And that voice tempts them to become something that they were never meant to be. In listening to that voice, they forget who they are and forget the connection they have to their Creator. And the result is fear. Adam and Eve become unsure of themselves. And that insecurity leads to the fear which has them running and hiding from God. Now how many of us have fallen into that trap? The fact is for myself <laughs> that at any given moment there are literally hundreds of other voices all clamoring for my attention. All telling me what kind of person I should be, how I should act, who I should be friends with. All trying to gain my attention and my allegiance. And in the clamor of those voices, it can be incredibly difficult for us to hear the one voice. 
that tells us who we truly are. The one voice that speaks in whispers, you are my child, and I love you. This, this is the voice that matters. When we lose sight of that voice, we see what happens. The final thing we see is that Adam blames God. So often, I've heard in this story that Adam blames Eve for what happened. And I've heard this taught over and over again, right? This Adam, Eve ate first, then Adam. Blame Eve for it. But Adam doesn't blame Eve. No, listen to what he says. The woman you gave me as a companion. She gave me the fruit and I ate it. Now this is where the relationship between mankind and God is truly broken. Because first we listen to a voice other than God, then we believe that we're something we're not, and we run in fear, and finally we abdicate responsibility for our own actions and blame God for our trouble. Again, just like you cannot have an intimate relationship with somebody you fear, it's even more difficult to have an intimate relationship with somebody that you believe is responsible for all your suffering. And so we sever ourselves from the source of our life, from the wellspring of our love, and then we wander around confused and afraid and unsure. In these three occurrences, Adam is every man. Adam's fall is our fall. Not only did it happen, but it continues to happen every day in millions of ways. We continue to forget who God is and so create a God of wrath and punishment and rules and judgment. I've heard it said once before that God made man in their image, in his image, and then for the rest of history, we have worked really hard to remake God in our image. Then we forget who we are as children of that love and so create systems to try and earn love that is actually already ours. When we forget who we are, we also forget who everyone else is. And so we treat each other with fear and suspicion instead of compassion and empathy. And finally, so many of us continue to blame God, to question God's love for us, to see an angry, vengeful, and selfish God rather than a loving God who longs to set us free. Everywhere you look, 
the fragility and the vulnerability of humanity is on constant display. We forget who God is. We forget who we are. And we blame God for all of it. Now, if we leave it here, get end here, we would have a pretty bleak picture of humanity, wouldn't we? But of course we can't, because God already has a plan. His plan is that the living word that was in the beginning, which we looked at last week, will come and restore the relationship that was broken. Will come and remove the fear that continues to plague humanity and replace it with love. This living word arrives in the form of Jesus of Nazareth, who Paul calls the second Adam. The first man, Adam, became a living being. The second Adam became the breath of life. Wow, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is a man from heaven, a man of spirit. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we also bear the image of the man of heaven. By comparison to the first Adam, Jesus knows who God is. Jesus once stated, I and the Father are one. This statement shows the depth of intimacy that Jesus shares with God. It returns us to the recognition of the relationship that existed in the beginning. And that this relationship, this love, is what set the universe in motion. And continues to sustain it to this day. Jesus knew God like no other. He knew without a doubt or a question that God was love. And he had no reason to fear God. He never ran from God because he knew who God was. And in that knowledge was a confidence that led to complete connection, complete honesty, and complete vulnerability. Our souls long for this type of intimacy. For this love. The problem is that too often we know who we are or we think we know who we are. We define ourselves by our behaviors. We often find ourselves wondering how we have ever become worthy of this love. And that is what really bothers us, because deep down we believe that we're not. So like Adam, we run and hide. We run from love, even as our hearts desire its embrace. Because we're terrified of it. We don't understand it. To understand this concept of a love that says, I... Why do you love me? Uh, I love you for no good reason. What? 
We want reasons. Right? Oh, I love you because you make me laugh. Ever heard that one? Oh, I love you because you make me laugh. What does that mean? If I stop making you laugh, you won't love me anymore? The kind of love that God displays has no reason other than God loves because He does. This word deserve, I wish we could just get rid of it. Like, just eliminate it from our thinking. Do you deserve it? No. Do I deserve it? No. But that's not what it's about. Because it's not about whether you deserve it. That has nothing to do with it. It has to do with a God of love loving you because that's who He is. Can you imagine what our lives could be like if we stopped running and simply allowed God's love to permeate our beings? If we began to understand that from the very beginning we were made from and for love, that love calls us to community, love calls us to humanity, love calls us to each other, love calls us to God. There are no outsiders. There are no outcasts. All are welcome. This is the type of world that awaits us on the other side of love. This is the kingdom that Jesus preached. Next, in comparison to Adam, Jesus knows who he is. You've heard me preach this before. You've heard me say this before. Jesus knows who he is. Without a doubt, he knows who he is. At Jesus' baptism, he steps up out of the waters and he hears these words spoken by God himself. This is my beloved child. The main difference between Jesus and Adam is that Jesus completely and without reservation believed that he was God's beloved, and he lives his entire life with this truth at the core of his being. This is what separates Jesus from Adam, the first Adam. This is what separates Jesus from the rest of humanity. But it's also what connects us. Because guess what? John 1 that I read last week, you go a little further down in there, we discover something. Whoever did want him, whoever believed he was who he claimed and would do what he said, he made to be their true selves, their child of God selves. Wow. This is the truest expression of our identity. We are God's beloved children. It has been so since the beginning. When we acknowledge that and begin to live our lives and as, as an expression of that love, then we become more Christ-like. More 
spirit-born, more God-breathed. The evidence of this life can be found in Galatians. This is my paraphrase, so you'll have to forgive me. goes like this. But when we are filled with His breath, when we are filled with the Spirit of God, this is the evidence. We will be filled with joy. We will be at peace with God, with ourselves, and our world. We will be patient in all circumstances and exhibit kindness in all our connections. Our inherent goodness will be restored to us, and we will be gentle with ourselves and others in the midst of struggle, not being violent or quick to anger, but walking in the faith that everyone we meet is a beloved child of the living God. Jesus didn't give in to the same temptation as Adam, even though he was tempted in the exact same ways. Because he was secure in who God was and who he was. Jesus didn't live in fear of God because you never have to be afraid of someone who knows you and loves you completely. I'm not afraid of Jen because I'm confident in her love for me. I know who she is, and I know who I am in her eyes. That knowledge allows me to be more fully myself, without fear or without worry. While Adam was an image of the first human, Jesus is an image of the archetype human. Just as Adam is an image of what every human is, and the story of the fall is the story of every human being ever born since, Jesus is the image of what every human has the potential to be. His connection to God, his belief in his identity, and the actions of his life are what each of us can become. We all have the potential within us to be truly Christ-like, fully connected, fully restored, and fully alive. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Maybe the point of being a Christ follower is not that we have to believe certain things about Jesus. but that we need to believe like Him. To believe that God is love and that we are children of love. To believe that love is what was in the beginning and that love is what continues to sustain. To allow that love to sink into our being and make us more fully alive, more fully and completely who we are. To allow love to waken us to our true selves.
Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a world filled with people awakening to who God is, to who they are, and to what that means? Let's pray. God, once again we come before you in awe of the love that you have for us. May we become more and more aware that you are love. May we become more and more aware that love is what was in the beginning, that love is what sustains, that there is no reason for us to fear, that there is no reason for us to run, that we can turn to you and know that we are loved. May that love permeate our entire beings and begin to change us and transform us into our true selves, our Christ-like selves. And may we live that out in every moment, every action, every thought, every decision. In Jesus' name, amen.